We'll be looking at Genesis 16 verses 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. This passage in Genesis is the result of Abraham and Sarah trying to act on a promise that Abraham had received from God. And you know, God gives promises all through the Bible. He gives individual promises to us and he lets us know somehow everything's going to be okay in different things that we go through. He's forever giving us promises. And he gave Abraham one of the most fabulous promises anyone could ever receive. He was told that he was going to have a son and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it's after that promise is given and God has just taken Abraham outside and showed him the heavens and said, you're going to have more descendants than this. It was a very intimate and wonderful moment. But it's after that that we hear these words in the Bible. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham and Sarah knew that it was God's will uh, that God had promised Abraham a son. But that's all they knew. And sometimes God doesn't give you all the information at one time. But they made a mistake by going ahead and just taking it on themselves. And I'm just going to go into this a little bit. Uh, they knew that he had been promised a son, but Sarah was 75 years old. And she thought that she was through with this kind of stuff, that she was too old to bear a child. She loved Abraham and she wanted good for Abraham. And so she wanted what God had promised for him. And so she figured out her own legal and technically moral way to give Abraham a son. The problem is it wasn't what God had in mind at all. And so many times we can find ourselves guilty of that. God had a plan, but not seeking God for direction. They wound up out of his will and the results were disastrous and still remain with us even today, 4,000 years later. The Arabian nations originated in this act and the enmity which sprang up between Israel and uh, the Arabs, descendants of uh, Ishmael, uh, they trouble the world to this day. In fact, the world is on titterhooks this weekend waiting to see what's going to come out of what's going on in Israel right now as they are in conflict for just because of what happened 4,000 years ago. If ever we have a picture of the longevity 
of the repercussions of sin, it's here. Despite the seeming rightness of this to Sarah and Abraham, it was the worst thing they could possibly have done. But as you look at it, you might wonder what's wrong with it. How, how could they have known what the results were going to be? How can we blame them for their decision? And we really need to look closely at what's going on here because we are so likely to be like Sarah and Abraham ourselves. Here is pictorial presented the great secret of Paul's labors to unfold in Galatians, how to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he uses this very illustration to, to, to illustrate it, this incident to illustrate it. Abraham and Sarah's difficulty was simply that all of their actions grew out of a basic philosophy, which put very simply says, God has told me what he wants. Now the rest of it depends on me. God has shown me what the goal is. And it's up to me to figure out and to reach that goal. That's what a lot of us operate under in different ways. I know what he wants. I can count on him for help. But the rest of it is up to me. And this is the philosophy which has led to all the folly and heartache and sorrow that Abraham and Sarah experienced, as have many others uh, through the running centuries since then. I've uh, seen this unfold in our own denomination. And as it's continued to, to shrink, our denomination has every year for at least four decades, probably more. We think many times the reason God's work is not going forward as it should is that we're not trying hard enough. We have uh, not really put ourselves into this the way that God wanted us to. So let's hold some more committee meetings. Let's do some more studies and let's figure out what we need to do to do what God has commissioned us to do. It all depends on us. And we never bother to find out how he wants us to do it. And I'm afraid that many times we don't care how he wants us to do it. We just have the goal at the end and we start go shooting toward the goal instead of seeking our God. Uh, we don't know whether he has a plan to carry out or not. We're too busy meeting and eating and doing all the other stuff that we need to do. Now, we generate programs, and when they fail, we recognize that something's wrong, and we just wring our hands and try something else. Now, let me say again here, I'm talking about our denomination as a whole. You guys are an exception to that. I just want you to know. You're not a part of what I'm talking about at this time because you guys are just open to what the Lord has for you to do when he has it for you to do it and you get it done. But uh, it's not anyway, you're, 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 you're doing things organically with him 
And that's so different from uh, what uh, some people get so caught up in the structure and the organization. But if you look back, look at what all God's done in the last several years here. I mean, it's incredible if you look and see what he has blessed. Uh, you guys, it's a, I just look at your bank statement and uh, you guys have more money in the bank now than you did, I think, whenever I got here and y'all hadn't really started all this. It's not my doing. I've just got to stand back and watch God work through you. And so I just want you to know that uh, that's the, what I'm talking about now is in generalities and it's what we are prone to do. But uh, you see, we have a we have a whole denomination right now that's filled with divisions and strife, getting ready to split, but can't even figure out how to do that. And nobody is seeking God's way out of this mess. They're just getting on their own little soap boxes and all and, and heading in their own directions instead of seeking God's direction. We need to realize that although we may have considered God's will in the beginning, since we haven't considered God's way or God's timing, we brought forth the wrong fruit. And I must say, in the United Methodist Church as a denomination right now, because of doing this sort of thing, we have fruit, but it's Ishmael, not Isaac, because we haven't done things God's way. We took God's goal and then we messed it all up because we didn't seek him in the process as we went along. In our personal lives, this plays out the same way. When it comes to our personal walk with the Lord, we see we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we set out to start trying to be like Jesus. And we make up a list of, or somebody makes a list up for us of rigid rules for acceptable behavior. And we become busy doing uh, things for God. And we work hard. We sincerely try to meet his demands. We do our best. But despite all the effort and sincerity, Deep in our hearts, we know there is nothing but barrenness. Or if there is fruit, it's not the kind we wanted. It is forced, unnatural, uh, sustained only by continual effort. And we are far short of the image of Christ, who told us that he only did what he saw his father doing. This is what happened to Abraham and Sarah. It all seemed like the right thing to do. The result is fruit all right, but it's Ishmael, not Isaac. The fruit of the flesh rather than of the spirit. In some moment of illumination, we might ask, why are we so barren? Why are we so unfruitful in the kingdom? Where's the impact? Where's the power of God in all this? What's become of the glow, that, that living vitality that we see in early Christians? What's wrong? It's all the result of failing to learn God's way in addition to God's will. As I considered this this past week, it really struck me that it's not enough to just know his will, 
not enough just to have a promise and then just take that and run away from God with it. When we have a promise or a direction from the Lord, we need to always realize that there are three elements involved. God's will, God's way, and God's timing. And we can mess up in those different ways so easily. Uh, To not take all three of these into consideration really can cause a lot of anxiety, frustration, stress, and it can result in our missing the blessed life that we could be living if we really took that to heart. As I thought about this, and I've mentioned it to Sharon a few times, I've had a whole bevy of people just march through my mind and my heart who missed out or are in the process of missing out because they didn't grasp this. And people who have lived joyfully because they did. I've seen men called to be preachers who just took the fact, okay, I'm supposed to be a preacher and just got puffed up and ran with it and didn't even consult God and what they should be doing. And I've seen disasters come from that. And I've seen them get angry because they weren't willing to do things the way that God wanted them to do it. I've seen all sorts of different uh, ways that this can play out. I remember I'll share you a story with you. Uh, in the woodlands, there was a woman that came to the altar for prayer. And I went down to pray with her. And her prayer was that she and her husband would walk together with the Lord. He didn't want to ever come to church with her. He didn't want everything to do with God. So she actually came into my office and we talked at length and we prayed about it. And the way she described him reminded her or reminded me of him at a point where I'd been in my life before right before the Lord called me in the ministry. And so I said, you know, I just have a copy of my story right here. Uh, if you read over this, you can see there's hope for you and your husband. And I gave that to her. And my goodness, what happened after that? Because you see, she left that laying on their coffee table. He picked it up and read it. And it turns out that at one point in his life, early on, just like in mine, He'd felt called to be a minister, but he turned away and he just kept going away from God. And God used my story to prick his heart and bring him back to where he wanted to get back on track and start doing what God wanted to do. But then his wife was, wait a minute. I just wanted him to come to church with me. I didn't want, I don't want to leave my house. I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this sort of stuff. And so all of a sudden, her husband wants to do what she was praying they do, walk together. And now she's not wanting to walk together with him. And so there are all sorts of, it was five years later, they finally took out. And the thing is, if you drag your feet, disaster comes out of it. You, you know what God wants you to do. You need to start doing it as he gives you the direction. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But the thing is, I saw that. I have 
talked with numerous, three I think, gift shop owners, Christian gift store, gift shops, that all three failed. And as I was visiting with them before they failed, the, the, the proprietor, the, the owner of the shop was bitter because they started a good thing for the community. And if the church and if the Christians in the community would support them, then they'd be doing just fine. Thank you. But see, there's a difference in goodwill and God's vocation for you. There's a difference. They just got a good idea. They thought, I'm going to do this for God and everybody's going to be happy, but they didn't seek God. And this is what happens. Disaster. Ishmael is the fruit that comes forth whenever you don't consider God. Structure, no matter what the denominational organization, no matter what church organization you have, is neutral. Just like a dollar bill is neutral. It's what spirit does with it. And so uh, our church could turn around in a minute. Our country could turn around in a minute if our spirit was the right spirit. We are experiencing Ishmael in our country because we're not consulting God. We have division. We have all this rancor and all this stuff going on because we haven't sought God's way, not just his will. We haven't sought his way. And uh, the next thing that comes up is timing. And we'll talk about that a little bit uh, also. But I've seen so many people miss out because of that. Uh, this is the pattern. Know God's will. Do things God's way and trust in his timing. That's it in a nutshell. This is true in your finances. It's true in your relationships. It's true in all of life. To take a promise and try to force it can be disastrous. I've known young ladies who they just knew God hasn't had a husband out there for them. And they wind up marrying the craziest jerks because they just were, they were really, you see, desperate for a husband. And instead of really trusting in God's way to even look for a husband and uh, God's uh, uh, timing and when that husband was going to come along because they, they said, God wants me to have a husband. I got to go to the honky tonk. You know, I mean, it's just kind of, it's almost like that, you know, I mean, it's sad, but that's what they do. But whenever you, whenever you see something that you decide God wants for you and you leave him out of it from that point on, you wind up with Ishmael. Your marriage and your marriage, your spouse can be Ishmael instead of Isaac. Now, let me tell you, in marriages, God can turn Ishmael's into Isaac's once you get back on track. He wants to. But anyway, but let you know that. But I've seen this happen in so many different ways. Uh, take a promise and uh, try to force it. It can be disastrous financially. Oh, God wants me to prosper. And you lose all your money by forgetting to consult God and uh, trust in his timing. Uh, take a promise and try to hurry God up in fulfilling it. That could be exasperating. That's what happened with, uh, with, well, with uh, Abraham and Sarah. 
they uh they short-circuited god's plan spend all your time some people spend all their time trying to figure out how god's going to do something and miss things that they're supposed to be doing themselves in that period of time because they're so distracted by trying to figure out what god's going to do there's so much of that so first of all on god's will I love what Richard Baxter uh, had to say. He was a famous English Puritan church leader and theologian and author. He was said to be a man who preached as a dying man to dying men and never sure he was going to get to preach again. That's the sort of a preacher he was. His last words were these, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. That was his prayer. God's way. God's uh, will and God's timing. That should be our heart as well. And that should be the way our life is lived when we walk out the door today up till the time when we're laying on our deathbed. Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. That should be our heart. Some people are afraid of God's will, though, you know. They're afraid to really consult with God because they're afraid that he might have them do something disastrous. And I saw a story along that line. There was a lady who uh, had an only child, and she asked, and she told Ms. Pearsall Smith, I do not dare to pray thy will be done because I'm afraid God will take away my little boy or will send me some heavy trial. Uh, And Ms. Uh, Smith replied, suppose your child should come to you and say, I want to be and do just what you desire today. Would you say to yourself, now is my opportunity to make this child do all the disagreeable duties that I want done? I will take advantage of his willingness to please me by cutting off his pleasures today and will keep him hard at discipline. Is that what you do? And the mother replied, no, no. I'd give him the best day that I possibly could plan. And then Ms. Smith said, and can you think God is less just and loving than you? Jesus said the same thing another way when he said, now you then, if you know and you want to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think you can expect good from your heavenly father? You can put yourself in his hands. You can trust that his will is going to be the best for your life. His way is going to be the best for your life. And this is where I see people go awry the most. This is where you can uh, miss having a fulfilling, spirit-filled, blessed life more than any other. Now, I uh, uh, ran across an account just last night where uh, a uh, lady was giving a a youth rally uh, uh, speech. I'm sorry, it was a youth leader was giving a youth speech. And at the end, he was given a really moving invitation. And all of a sudden, a young lady just raised her hand up, said, can I ask a question? And the leader said, 
Yes, what, what would you like to know? said, how can we be a Christian and do what we want to do? That's where a lot of people are. That's what they live out of. They want to be a Christian. They want to go to heaven. They want all that sort of stuff, but they want to do what they want to do. And the thing is, it's a trade-off. It's a swap. But oh, what a, uh, an advantageous swap, you might say it is. We used to drive, we, we got a car at one point. It was a little 76 Pinto station wagon. Looked like a clown car when all six of us came piling out of it. But uh, we put so many miles on that car. Uh, the swap that God called you to make is like, say, if you drove that car in with 200,000 miles to the Ferrari dealership and you were there looking at a, you were hoping to trade this Pinto in on a brand new, shiny red Ferrari sports car. And the salesman came up and said, take it, even trade. I'll take your Pinto. I give you the Ferrari. That's the difference. That's not even beginning to come close to the difference in the life that the Lord has to offer versus the life that you're living now. And so many people just don't want to let go of that little 76 Pinto. They, they want the Ferrari, but they don't want to make the sacrifice, even though it's so much better that they don't want to make the trade. But that's where so many go wrong. You can't know his. Now, this is just it because they don't want to know God's will because they're afraid of it or they don't. They they don't ask even after they've maybe gone through the motions of giving themselves to the Lord. Then they go around kind of like, da, 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 da. you know, they don't want to really hear what the Lord has for them. And this is what I've discovered. You can't know his way without asking. This is one of the reasons why Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and he'll open the door. He's told us that. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to have the life that he has. We're afraid to give it up. And you miss out on so much when you do that. So many people, they just want to read their Bible. They claim the, claim the promises when they like or make it into a bunch of rules and uh, uh, doctrines. And then they want to follow those instead of really listening to the Lord. And that's why I think we have a lot of people that I call dry evangelicals. They are uh, people that they say, yes, I believe the Bible. And they try to do uh, uh, what the Bible says to do. But there's no freshness to it. There's no life to it. Because it's just they're doing just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees did so long ago. He says, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have life. But they point to me and they wouldn't look at him. So many people will look at the Bible, but they won't look at the Lord. And this causes them to have lifeless Ishmael lives 
instead of Isaac, child of promise, lives. The Christian life is a life full of adventure, filled with communication with God as you ask, seek, and knock continuously. And the Lord gives answers, and I can attest He will. Whenever, uh, whenever I was called in the ministry, called to, to be a preacher, and uh, Sharon was called at the same time, we decided that if this was God's will, we needed to do it. Someone once said that delayed obedience is disobedience, and that means that it's sin. And we didn't want, we wanted to be in God's will. The problem is I had no idea how to even get started. I'd been one of these people that was churched, but unchurched. I went to church every Sunday just because I was supposed to, but I had no idea what a seminary was. I thought it was something like a monastery. I didn't even know if Sharon was going to get to go there with me. I thought they wore robes and uh, translated old manuscripts. They rang a bell every hour and filled just like a Catholic monastery. So I had no idea what I was getting into. But uh, I just knew the Lord wanted me to be a preacher. So, but the thing is, when you know what the Lord wants you to do, you start taking the steps. My first step was to sneak across the street my next day at work and use a payphone to go over in Sharpstown Mall to call my preacher, Dr. Charles L. Allen. And the reason why I snuck across the street was because I was still so worldly and all, I didn't want the guys in the office to hear me talking like this. So I snuck across the street, sneaked it snuck a word. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. I, 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 I went across the street and I, uh, I, I called up and 10,000 member church, they put Dr. Allen right on the line. And with his long Texas drawl, he said, well, that's just wonderful, Joel. You know, we need to, you're going to have to go to seminary. And we've got one of our associates been on the board of directors over there at Perkins. And anyway, he told me, he said, I'm going to get you in touch with him. And y'all get together and have lunch or something. And he'll tell you what you need to do. That was the first step. But you see, I asked. And all of a sudden, I started getting direction. Now, whenever I hung up and started to walk away, I heard a clink. In the telephone receipt, in the telephone. So I went back. My dime came back. He was like, the Lord was just giving me a sign. First calls on me, son. <laughs> you see, he let me know I was on the right track. And that's what he will do all along the way. As you endeavor to do what he wants you to do, he'll help you to do it. He'll give you guidance from other people. He will make it happen. But you've got to take the steps. And if you're not taking the steps, you're not going to see the results. And you're not going to have him working with you and in you. So whenever we got to Dallas, immediately Sharon got one of the best paying jobs she'd ever had. It was just like, 
God's taking care of this. God's got this. Then uh, we hadn't gotten all of our finances straight. And it was time for me to start to school. And I didn't have money. We didn't have any money at that point for childcare. And I was walking on campus and I happened just to overhear a conversation. I stopped and they were talking about uh, Hawk, Hall da- Hawk Hall Daycare Center there on the campus at the seminary. And lo and behold, for one ever one hour that you worked at this co-op daycare center, you could leave your child there for four hours. And so I learned how to do child care and, uh, uh, and, and had both my kids taken care of there. Now then, uh, so, but see, I prayed and God let me overhear a conversation. Later on, when, uh, uh, Sharon was getting ready to have our daughter Amy and had to quit work. I was praying, how are we going to do this, Lord? I was walking through my church. I overheard a conversation where they were talking about it. East, yeah, at East Texas Motor Freight, they pay ten fifty an hour. No, it's ten ninety an hour for uh, part-timers. I thought, that might work for me. Let me check. What's going on here? It turns out, Guy in my church uh, put in a good word for me, and I got a job working part time for ten fifty an hour, ten ninety an hour. Well, that'd be like thirty five dollars an hour at least nowadays. And so uh, it it was two churches down the line before the bottom line of my income tax uh, uh, looked as good as it did when I was working part-time and going to school full-time and part, pastor a church part-time. It's amazing. You see, God made a way, but we had to take the steps. You're not going to know the adventure if you don't venture forth. And when you do, and I don't care how old you are, how scared you are, you just take the steps. God's going to make a way. Well, retirement. Uh, the first conversation I ever had with the Lord was, what about my family? I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. But what about my family? And basically, I just discovered he loved me so much. And he made it clear how deep his love for me went that I can trust my very life into his hands and it would be good. And he said, Joel, you know I love you, don't you? I said, yes, Lord, I do. He said, well, I love every member of your family just as much as I love you. Don't you think I want good for them? If nothing else, because I love you so much, I'm going to want to do good for them. I'll take care of them. You just do what I want you to do. And you know what? He has. And I got antsy about it, I must say, because when we started out, as I've told you before, we were P-O-R-E poor. You know, we, you know, I was great at dumpster diving. We had a hard time making it, but we did. The Lord saw that our needs were met, but it was touch and go. And then... All of a sudden, toward the end of my career, quote unquote, I wound up making as much as district superintendents make, serving a cool church, living in the best parsonage in all the Texas annual conference. Nobody else 
And the Texas Conference probably has a near Olympic sized swimming pool in their backyard. I mean, they took care of their preacher. It was cool. And uh, but the thing is, even better than that, the stock market went crazy at that time. Here I'd been thinking just shortly before, I'm going to have to work till I drop. And I'm going to have to be living in a parsonage forever because I'm never going to be able to afford a house. Stock market goes crazy. And the Lord had me to separate the money as far as investments in my retirement plan as much as we could. We split it between foreign investments and and domestic investments. And somehow it worked out that I wound up, I I just can't tell you, the Lord blessed. The Lord blessed. I felt guilty because my retirement increased so much more than uh, my other pastor friends who were in the same program that didn't stick the money the same way that I did. And all of a sudden, when it came time for retirement, we could do this. The Lord had made a way. But see, it wasn't there really till I needed it. And that is so frustrating, isn't it? You know, but that's a part of the adventure. And so uh, uh, that's just it. So anyway, the thing is, is that it was a miracle. God, you'll see God perform miracle after miracle. If you'll just keep in mind God's will, God's way and God's timing and trust him in all of these areas, not just one. You've got to trust him in all of them. Trust that his way is the right way when it looks like it's no way at all. You see, to many people, salvation uh, through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, Jesus being the only way to them, they look at that and they say, no, that's not even possible. I've got to work my way into heaven. But that's not the way that God has put before us. His way is the way of the cross. That's his way. We've got to, and it's his will that you come to the cross, that you receive what Jesus did there for you and receive the wonderful life that he has to offer you and then move on. But then doing all this stuff and in his timing, that's it. See, it was 13 years later that Sarah conceived and bore Isaac. We may not understand God's timing, but we should always follow it. Just because you have a promise doesn't mean it's the right time for it to be fulfilled. And let's face it, sometimes we have problem with timing, uh, God's timing two different ways. Uh, Remember uh, uh, reading about a preacher a long time ago that uh, he was preaching long. All of a sudden he just said, How many of y'all are ready to go to heaven? Let's see your hands. And everybody in the whole church just enthusiastically raised their hands, except one guy. And he just sat there looking around. And after the service, the preacher asked him, he said, sir, you're not ready to go to heaven. He said, oh, yeah, I'm ready. And I I know that I'm going to be going to heaven when I die. But I thought you're getting ready to load to go right now. (laughs) See, sometimes we're not ready to die, but God's timing is the right timing. Sometimes 
There are lots of things we're not ready for, but it's God's timing. And then there are things that we want right now, and it's not God's timing. And so we've got to learn to just have faith and trust. One of the best places we see this is Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. By the time that Jesus arrived at Lazarus's home, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And apparently he died shortly after the messenger had been sent to Jesus. It took the messenger a day to get to Jesus, and it took Jesus a day to get to Lazarus and add in the two days of delay, and you wind up with four days when Jesus is standing there at the tomb. Now, I've read that the Jews believe that the Spirit hovered near the body for three days and then departed. With Lazarus being in the tomb for four days, it seemed that even Jesus wouldn't be able to do anything now. And understandably, Mary and Martha were angry. They were disappointed with Jesus. And on separate occasions, each one of them had uttered the line, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha did add a touch of faith to her complaint by saying, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She wanted to believe that Jesus was going to do something miraculous. And of course, he did, didn't he? He went out to the tomb and with a whole lot of onlookers uh, right there, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And when Lazarus came out of that cave, still loosely wrapped in his burial cloths, Jesus said to some of those people, loose him and let him go. And I wonder who volunteered for the job. How would you like to unwrap a mummy? Anyway, but uh, then just when we think that the story can't get any better, we get the payoff in John eleven forty five. There it says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. You see, just as Jesus gave physical life to Lazarus that day, he gave spiritual life to all those new believers. That two-day wait of his had set the stage for a prolific evangelistic harvest. This story should teach one of each one of us that if God delays doing something, he has a good reason for the delay. Trust him in it. Some of you are going through this right now. I know. Trust him in the delay. He doesn't make us wait just to, so we can, he can uh, watch us squirm. That's not why he makes us wait. He's not trying to toy with us like a puppet on a string. No, he's always up to something bigger and better than we can even imagine and affecting a lot more than just us. So if he current has you in the midst of a delay, make yourself be patient. And the best way to do that is to remember the goodness of God. Keep your faith high that he hasn't forgotten about you or your situation. 
and just let him work things out, not only in his will, but his way, in his timing. You never know what miracle, either physical or spiritual, he has in store for you.